One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Some have called it the most expensive film ever made on a cost-per-minute basis. And it was one of the earliest four-dimensional films that utilized in-theater butt pinches and sprays and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, well, there goes my dramatic intro. It has interactive theater elements, is what I meant to say, like little air sprays and mists and little trembles in the seats, and it's all very uh, gropey. Anyway, my name's Matt Gorley. This is I Was There Too, the show where I talk to people who are present in the great scenes of cinema history. And today's film is Captain EO, the Disney multi-dimensional interactive attraction that stars Michael Jackson. Originally released in 1986, it was then re-released in 2010 after Jackson's death. It's a strange mishmash of the best of 80s science fiction. It's got tons of H.R. Giger influences in there. Henson puppets. It kind of looks like a, a, it could be from a Dune novel, or if you know the comic book artist Mobius. The enemy ship looks like it's from Star Trek. The robots look like they're from the movie The Black Hole. There's something very similar to the Star Wars trench run in the Battle of the Death Star. It's got little resemblances to Max Headroom and Time Bandits throughout. It's kind of doing what the 80s did best, and that was take from other sources and make it something new, even if it isn't new. Well, now I've gotten deep. Happy 2015, everyone. I hope your new year is going well. It's time to connect today's guest to last episode's guest. This one's easy. Peter Burke wrote to Bill Murray in Caddyshack, Bill Murray to Angelica Houston in The Royal Tenenbaums, Angelica Houston to Doug Benson in Captain EO. Uh, it was my personal pleasure to have Doug Benson as a guest on this show. He's a great interview, as you're going to hear, and it's my hope that he'll be a sort of regular guest on this program because, A, the stories he has to tell are fantastic, but B, as you'll hear in the discussion, he's been in a bunch of iconic movies in some capacity. So I hope he will join us on a regular basis until we use all of those up and then maybe beyond. 
Also, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned how it's my uh, personal quest to find somebody that's been squibbed. Well, my search is over. Doug is a great comedian and actor, and no small master of podcasts himself. Doug Loves Movies is a favorite of mine. He also does Getting Doug with High, and his new Netflix special, Doug Dynasty, is streaming right now. Check it out. It's really funny. I've seen it, and uh, it's just fantastic. Okay, let's get into this thing. Let's dive into it hard and fast, and at the uh, other side of the musical transition, we'll hit the ground running. But also stick around for a new segment at the end of the interview where I talk to someone who is incredibly special to me. And I think you're going to love her. Here we go. The film, Captain EO, the year 1986, the role, Orange Dancer, the actor, Doug Benson. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) You're bringing a guest into it fast. I'm dying to hear about your experience with Captain EO. First of all, how did this even happen? You grew up in Southern California, right? Mm-hmm. You must was, just have been a youngster. Yeah, I was very young. I was in um, L.A. for, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, a couple of months or something. I had I grew up in San Diego, and I drove back and forth to L.A. quite a bit. Day by day, or would you stay up No, there? just, uh, you know, I had a friend whose dad would let us crash at his place, and... Uh, um, you know, and eventually, you know, built up some other friends, but basically, uh, all of my drama nerd friends in San Diego were all just, you know, starry eyed about Los Angeles. So we came up here as frequently as possible. And so, uh, my first two forays into being a extra in movies were, it's kind of crazy that the first two movies I ever uh, appeared in, however briefly, are also just huge classic movies: uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Blade Runner. That's incredible. And those I did both of those not living in LA yet, just uh-huh. coming up from San Diego and staying somewhere. And my friend was also an extra in both those things, and so he kind of got me, you know, got me involved on board. So he brought you into the whatever the casting process was for extras? Yeah. Well, at that time, I'm not sure how it's changed, and don't anybody ask me to help them figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like open mics and comedy. They sort of uh, shift over time and you gotta change. you got to make your own way. And yeah. and yeah, and you also, you know, it's, sub- it's not something, especially with the internet now. There was no internet when I was doing this, so it was just, you just through word of mouth found out through the other extras the names of all the various people that cast stuff. And um, they needed a lot of extras for Blade Runner because they were going to be shooting the whole sequence um, outside uh, on the Warner Brothers lot where uh, Deckard is chasing the uh, lady stripper replicant. Oh, yeah. The snake lady when he's yeah. chasing her down the street. And she's wearing that like see-through mm-hmm. raincoat. Yeah, she had a fun outfit on it <laughs> and then a really bad stunt double when she goes through a plate glass window. But um, in slow motions, like the weirdest like Ridley Scott of all people has a shot that's clearly a stunt double. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't do that sort of thing these days. <laughs> I feel like you're meant to be the patron saint of this podcast because the sh- the movies that you've been extra on – we're tailor-made for this, so I hope we can talk about some of these other films. In uh, yeah, I've day. got you know plenty to say about my brief time at, at, uh, on each of these films. And in the, in the case of Blade Runner, um, 
they needed a lot of extras and they needed us to just all be outside all night under fake rain. <laughs> so it was extremely uncomfortable. I was very uh, sick during part of it. But, you know, I was so excited to be like at that time it was like me and my friend could not believe we were, you know, on a set that looked like an amusement park. Like it was a really cool looking set. Right. Like it was really tricked out. But then also, uh, you know, Harrison Ford – like Star Wars and Alien were our favorite movies. That's and so we were on a Ridley Scott, Harrison Ford set. And then, you know, the rest of that, of course, is history that the movie came out was it was very – people weren't that impressed that I was <clears> – people weren't that impressed that I was in it. You know, it wasn't really the greatest thing to brag about because it was such a failure when it came out. But over time, but you so extra cred. But so that's what happened is I was uh, – the reason I told the Blade Runner thing is just to say that, like, you know, I was very into doing this sort of stuff before I even moved up here. And then uh, shortly after that, I moved to, to L.A. And um, one of my friends from San Diego who had also moved to L.A. I mean, there was, there was like four or five of us of uh, two or three years of school. You know, like when I was a sophomore, I was friends with a guy who was a junior and You're another guy who was school. a senior. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, college is like, I just, I messed around with community college for a while and, and gave up on it and uh, followed these other, followed these other guys up to LA because I, I knew people that made the move. They were making it work. <clears throat> and so this one guy is a one-legged, uh, he's a uh, amputee uh, from like the knee down on one leg and he uh worked as a um, kind of one of the people sort of in charge of uh, Michael Jackson's production company. Oh, wow. So he hired me Wait, to is be... is he the guy that plays Major he, Yeah, Domo? yeah, you're getting yeah, ahead okay, of me I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he hired me to, uh, to, to help out as a PA on, uh, on Michael Jackson's stuff. So for, for several weeks... My job uh, was basically just driving out to the back and forth between Hollywood and the Valley, just delivering, again, pre-internet. So yeah. I was just delivering random things for Michael Jackson, like random legal papers and stuff. Nothing So nothing I, weird. I didn't get to see him much, but I got to go out to his house a lot and, and you know, in his lawyer's office and things like that. Was this pre-Neverland, <clears> right? Because that was more north. Uh, well, Neverland may have existed at the time. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure of the timeline on that, but if it didn't, it was about to. It was close. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it might not have existed yet, but he probably he probably opened it shortly thereafter, and um, opened it to the <laughs> to the public, the children that are boys. He opened it to uh, the public perception of yeah. what it was. <laughs> so. Um, uh, so I did that for a while, and that was I, I didn't really like that kind of work, and I'm, I'm glad that I eventually got out of it. But um, but it was still kind of neat to have uh, at, at that time. He was um, it was called Smooth Criminal Productions, is okay. what it said on my checks, <laughs> and I got like seventy five bucks a day or something like that in gas money. So um, that's not bad eighties money. No, not bad at all. Uh, you know, it really got me by that between that and doing extra work. So, but I also. Um, uh, you know, wa wanted to keep doing, uh, you know, extra work and stuff. So I kind of, uh, tapered off on the production assistant thing. Uh, and then, uh, he, this guy that, that I know at, uh, Michael Jackson production company, he, since he only had one leg was the perfect choice 
to be inside the uh, Major Domo costume for the Captain EO attraction. Uh-huh. And so I was hearing all about that from him, that he was playing the robot, and, and you know, and it, it sounded amazing, and then it sounded like it was going way over budget and that things were kind of crazy. And then <clears throat> one day I got the call from my friend, the robot, <laughs> and he said, uh, do you want to be – do you want to be a dancer in Captain EO on Saturday for 50 bucks? 50 bucks? Yeah. You're, you're losing money to do this. They well, decided, yeah, yeah. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't pay well. I mean, there might have been overtime, but I, I, I forget. It was a long ass day. I remember that. But uh, I was like, a dancer? What are you kidding me? And he said that basically Coppola, Francis Coppola, had gone so over budget on this short film for Disneyland that uh, they just, said, F it, let's not – let's just not pay professional dancers for the last day of the shoot. Let's just bring in people and put them in the co- the same costumes that the real dancers have been wearing. The svelte, you know, comely dancers have been wearing and let's just put all these – let's just put a bunch of random slobs uh, in these outfits. <laughs> and then – so it's the point where uh, – spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it. Uh, Angelica Houston plays a uh, – an ugly witch and she gets turned into a less ugly princess. <laughs> and, uh, wait, I have to tell you in that right? moment. <laughs> so my only knowledge going into this was Doug Benson was a dancer in Captain EO. So uh, in my mind, it could have gone anywhere from what you're saying to, no, he was a legit, I was a legit in, dancer in back in the day. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was terrible at it. And they, uh, so it's the scene where we're, we all are just, uh, celebrating that, that she's a nice princess and Captain EO saved the day. Oh, okay. Through music. Like and, the whole set uh, turns into that Greek looking kind of empathy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what I was, that's basically what I was on was like, I, the scene, what the beginning of the day, we're, we're all kneeling around, uh, Princess Angelica. And then, uh, and the idea was, uh, I, I think they may have even brought us in a day before or or it's just a really long day. But they had the choreographer of the thing, of Captain EO, try to teach us all a dance. And we were, it was so terrible. <laughs> they gave up on it. They're like, scrap that. Let's just just do whatever. Just freestyle it. So the idea was oh we're, we were just told to all jump up and dance around happily because of what has happened. <laughs> And uh, so since I'm not so good happy. at dancing and yet I was still there, I took advantage of it and just behaved like a complete idiot. What like do you just, mean? You know, just like, like approximating what a dancer might, you know, jumping around like, you know, kind of ballet style jumps and <laughs> and uh, a little, you know, a little just kind of freestyle rocking out. At one point when I'm watching the movie in the theater at Disneyland, I can I can spot myself very Briefly, but as you can imagine, the cuts are pretty fast and the shots are pretty wide because it's a bunch of non-professional dancers right. at the end of this thing and they just want to get it over with. Yeah. And in fact, in the scene, they cut to Michael Jackson and his little furry friends uh, a lot, uh-huh. you know, and there's yeah. nothing going on on their side of the shot. Now, none of that, us are in their side of the I shot. I love that they're the B-roll that they need to cut away to. Yeah, to we really need to cut to Michael Jackson here. <laughs> To so so like it's a, it's a crappy shot like it's Michael Jackson. There's nothing in the background because it's, it's pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> it's almost like they did it on a green screen, and then in the movie it's just white behind them. Oh my God. So uh, 
So yeah, so they they cut around me. So it's it makes it even on YouTube or wherever you're looking at it, it's very difficult to uh, to pick me out. And here's the thing that I regret and will regret for the rest of my life. I I was on that set all day long, and again, we didn't have cameras in their pockets, so I never got a picture of me with Michael Jackson. It, no, in the outfit. Oh, yeah, I don't care about with Michael Jackson. <laughs> Because that would have been that would have been unprofessional to try to get a picture with him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he doesn't photograph anyway. Let's be honest. Yeah, um, but yeah, so they, I, I don't have a picture of me in the outfit, so I can't even uh, use it as a source of reference. Like sometimes I go, was I yellow or orange? Like sometimes I get confused about it because there was like three colors of outfits, and we sat around together all day looking at each other. The internet says you're the orange dancer and is yeah. You know so that's why I, I kind of think that's true. But I, I kind of also picture <laughs> yeah. myself in a yellow outfit for some reason because yellow is even more was even more embarrassing because it was like you know there's like a little tie at the ankle and then it's completely slit all the way up the leg oh, I didn't and you catch can that. even you can even see a little bit of a matching uh, uh, tight underwear underneath. Really? Yeah, they gave us you know matching underwear. Well, this begs a second viewing. And yeah, I decided to sit in a chair and get you know like uh, orange and white lines painted on my face and my my hair all made up in that terrible sort of punk uh, kind of yeah. uh, you know hairsprayed and uh, and painted kind of look. And um, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't a terribly uncomfortable day, as I recall. But it was just a super long ass day, and the whole time it's just kind of like a lot of eye rolling, like. You know, I'm I've walked into a, you know, like Titanic or Heaven's Gate or something where it's like it's a story that this thing is out of control. Right. I read <laughs> quite a bit about it. Yeah. And, and so then I got to be there and see that it was just no one seemed to know what they were doing. And they had gigantic cameras for the 3D effects, you know, like almost like probably what has turned into these days uh, the IMAX yeah, camera yeah. that's so huge and expensive. And that's part of why the movie, as I recall – why it went so over budget is they had so many problems with the camera. Right. And in fact, I hear even if you watch the finished version, there are some shots that are out of sync that they never quite got right. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that there's uh, technical things throughout that are that are funky. And uh, there's and you can definitely see, you know, for the scenes where the uh, the little uh, the little butterfly cat or whatever the uh, thing's supposed fuzz to be. Fuzzball. Fuzzball. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, the way Michael Jackson says it in the movie just sounds like an insult. Yeah. You know, it just sounds like, you stupid fuzzball. <laughs> but I guess that's really his name. But he, fuzzball, was operated by a guy uh, when he was on Michael's shoulder. And there's a couple shots in the movie where you could see the guy's uh, head or arm. Oh you could God. see that there's somebody behind Michael Jackson uh, operating the puppet. Uh, <laughs> How does this happen? And it's, strangely, coincidentally, in Blade Runner, you could see the strings on one of the car flying cars. Really? Yeah, it's just like, come on. Yeah, Coppola and Ridley Scott yeah. are letting that stuff fly get get, get through. How was Coppola? You were <laughs> well, he was with just, one of the greatest seemed, directors of all time. He just seemed kind of uh, you know somewhat manic and uh, unhappy, you know, and and sort of uh, I didn't really. I strangely didn't focus on him very much because it was the most distracting thing about the experience was that every time Michael Jackson was doing his thing, because we got to we got to be there while he like danced around a lot, yeah. so it was always fun to for them to hit the playback really loud, and you're just there watching Michael dance and Jackson dance around up close, and nobody seems to be worried security wise that something might one of these extras might be a nut bar, <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, but. 
every time they said cut, he would go and sit on a chair in the corner with his young friend. I think the kid's name was Jonathan, maybe. And Michael Jackson? What are friends? Michael friend Jackson uh-huh. with his kid in his lap, and they would like whisper in each other's ear and giggle and just seem to be having the time of their life just hanging out together in a chair. And this guy wasn't involved with the production. He was just his pal. He was just like a, you know, like a Macaulay Culkin looking sort of kid. Oh boy. Yeah. And that, you know, who knows? Uh, Like, I don't know if that kid, if anything happened to him or if he ever uh, tried to, if he was one of those ones that ever tried to press charges. Even if you take that stuff out of the equation, it's still, it's creepy as hell. (laughs) Like when people would, you know, from that day forward, when the subject of Michael Jackson and children would come up, I'd go, well, he's, he's a creep. Like he's, he's doing inappropriate things with other people's children, you know, whether or not he's. It, it it ever gets sexual is is uh, you know that's we may never know but I bet it did because he just just that he is on record as telling children that wine is Jesus juice yeah that's enough like that's, that's enough. enough that's it that's- <laughs> but people he's exonerated the high school in Hollywood that you that had the Michael Jackson auditorium uh-huh. they covered it up when he got all those charges and then a few years after his uh, you know a while after his death they uncovered it again same it's with back this, to though. the Michael Jackson auditorium they brought this back and Captain in 2010 EO after yeah and he now died. they and all they did was add to the sign the word tribute which yeah. what does that even mean yeah. like it's yeah. like they're kind of trying to distance themselves a little bit like well Disneyland doesn't condone what we've learned, but we also, you know, we have this theater and this movie and, you know, how long are we going to show and Honey, enough, I Shrunk the Audience? Yeah. <laughs> enough time has passed where we can appreciate the, the work and not necessarily the man and his legend. All right. We have to take a little break and then we'll come back and okay. talk more about this. Thank you. Thank back um i'm just taking deep breath after deep breath hearing these things can i jump forward a, lo- a, a little bit for an interesting Where aspect of the story you want to take us so then years later <laughs> as i you know when the subject comes up sometimes i won't mention it but most of the time if the subject of captain eo comes up it's pretty you awesome got that to, in your to say i was in that yeah and uh and uh in this particular case it was uh episode of doug Lowe's movies and the subject of whether or not Michael Jackson was a child molester came up somehow. And I went off, just went off about how I'm pretty convinced that he was. And then uh, that's the week he died. He died like – so So this very fresh episode of the podcast, I'm going off about this guy that his death definitely <laughs> made a lot of people, get, you know, cut him some slack in yeah. terms of what they feel about him because now he's dead, you know. So not just the recording but the episode came out before – Right before it came out like day of, you know, it was like, it was, the timing was awful. It was really bad. So I got a lot of, uh, a lot of angry reaction from that, but still listen to what I I say, listen to what I was saying. I stand behind everything I said there that he's a creepy dude. The coincidence doesn't change anything. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't change that he was a creep and it's, and it's sad that he also was, you know, so addicted to painkillers and stuff that he let that doctor, you know, basically kill him. Yeah. Did you have any interaction with him on the set? Any? 
No, no, other than just being, you know, just being in close enough proximity the whole time to just be sort of, you know, kind of blown away by it. But also a set, like the same thing happened with Harrison Ford. Like, you you know, as much as I admired him, yeah. I got tired of, you know, I got less interested in being uh, him standing nearby. Right. You know, I wasn't like, but that was five nights, you know, that was like a whole week. But uh, the one day of like the one 18 hour day I spent with uh, Michael Jackson, I didn't. I didn't ever speak to him. Nobody else ever did. Like it was just very – like he was already a kind of a, a figure that everyone just assumed should be left alone. With his you little know, friend. They might have even – I don't even remember them saying anything, but they might have even instructed us to not uh. speak to him or anything. One time I was in the, his office when they were having a meeting. They were showing him some drawings for like this smooth criminal video or something and – uh so I got to – again, I got to sort of be in a room with him with only like four or five other people but, you know, no – no, no words exchanged to each other, uh, you know, a, a mask mask on his face, you know. At his home? No, at, at the office. Oh, at the – really? Yeah, Even the then. studios over in – it's funny, Culver City uh, Studios is where they did uh, Captain EO in one of the stages there. And at least for the first uh, several months of uh, my podcast, Getting Dug With High, we did it in an office right across from where that, <laughs> where that soundstage is. So it's a nice – Nice homecoming. <laughs> and full circle. And that was another kind of cool thing that happened during Captain EO is during lunch at the commissary, uh, Francis Ford Coppola had a meeting with like uh, Jim Carrey and Nicolas Cage and two or three other people who I was you know familiar with because I was a big movie fan and comedy fan. Harry Basil, I think, was one of them. He's a stand-up. Uh, they they were all just uh, meeting with Francis at the commissary oh, wow. about Peggy Sue got married. Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, and so that was uh, that was you know at the time I thought that was neat. You know, I was, was excited to see to them all that, together. Right? Catherine Kathleen Turner. And, yeah. yeah. And he had just come off the Cotton Club, and I read somewhere that he- that was a big uh, over the top uh, disaster yeah. money wise and stuff. I think it's a great film. I yeah. really like watching. I it. do too. And I, I read that he kind of took Captain EO to repair his reputation and. For the Cotton Club, and I love that. That's the way he went with. <laughs> I I give Captain EO credit for one thing, and that's to this day it's still the best 3D I've ever seen in a motion picture theater. Really? Because th- something comes out and floats right in front of your face. It does not happen in any 3D movies. Even Avatar, uh-huh. there isn't an object coming out and just sitting there like like when you're watching Captain EO at Disneyland, children are swatting yeah, at it. I remember that. That's you know right. what I mean? That and and 3D movies beginning. today, you're not watching Gal- Gal- you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and swatting at anything yeah. or, or going, wow, that's yeah. really close to my face. Yeah. The things I remember distinctly from my childhood and seeing it was the asteroid at the beginning, the little fuzzball, but those soldiers pointing their spears at yeah. you, like old 50s, 3D the style. Spears that was old school, yeah, yeah, but it was still it was still pretty good. Like yeah. they came out pretty far. But like when that fuzzball, when he flies out over the audience, yeah. and when the asteroid explodes at the beginning, both of those things, like it really, it really looks like it's right there. It in almost front of feels you. like it's behind you in some way. Like yeah, you, yeah, you can get between it. I think they called that place the Magic Eye Theater. Yeah, and um, you know, that's I don't I don't know why 3D movies aren't aren't more like that, but uh, that might be. Why they had those big expensive cameras and uh, and and why Captain EO probably can't be shown anywhere but that the, that theater there and the one at Epcot and right. and the I, I I can imagine that the uh, that the Disneyland's that are in other countries will will never stop showing it uh, yeah because that because it doesn't you don't need to speak English to understand how <laughs> stupid it is <laughs> yeah. 
How was Angelica Houston? You weren't there when she was in she her, was like, just, yeah. makeup. She, she was just in the pretty makeup. I mean, they may have shown us a picture or something of the uglier version. Um, but, uh, yeah, we didn't uh, – we just saw her, you know, and she just stood around. And, and at the time, I wasn't – I was uh, a little negligent on uh, understanding what a legendary figure yeah, she was. I would have been too. You know, yeah. she wasn't uh, – she hadn't done a lot of uh, on-camera acting at that, that – like she like she was in this, I think, because she sort of popped with Preetzi's on. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah so um, prior to that, I you know, it's just like, oh, John Houston's daughter or whatever she was. But uh, – um, but now, since then, she's you know she's done a lot of amazing things. Yeah, there's a question that I don't even know if anybody can answer, but Jackson moonwalks in this, and I was wondering, like, was that his idea of like I'm going to do my trademark thing, or were the Disney suits going? We have to get your moonwalk in here. That you know, I think you know that he you know he called uh, uh, one of his things that he did moonwalker, and yeah. uh, he. You know, I, I think he's pretty proud of having come up with that. And you can't really do a, a Michael Jackson outer space thing and not have him moonwalk. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, so I don't think there anybody had to discuss that. I think that was just like, and of course he's going to moonwalk. Um, but man, you know, like seeing him do it in person is really, it's impressive. Like a lot of people are good at it, but there's something about, you know, him sort of coming up with it and being that good at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like, he's just floating, you know, it's pretty cool. Do you remember his hyperbaric chamber incident? <laughs> Apparently that's tied to this. Listen to this. The week of the grand opening, the National Enquirer printed an odd photo of Jackson lying inside a hyperbaric chamber. It was theorized that in order to live to be 150 years old, he slept in it each night to get that influx of oxygen. In reality, several biographies of Jackson pointed out that Jackson himself leaked the picture purposely at that time to draw attention to the premiere of Captain EO, especially with its sci-fi aspect. Hmm. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's about seems about right for him, you know. Like he just does the weirdest things, like that thing uh, when he, when Thriller came out that there was a disclaimer at the beginning that uh, he doesn't believe in the occult yeah. and that this is just a movie. Right. It's just the weirdest. What yeah. are you talking about? What kind of odd disclaimer? <laughs> Did you get to go to the premiere at Disneyland for being a part of it, or I I don't Jackson? believe I was invited for being a part of it. I could be wrong though. I might have been. I uh, Disneyland over that during that period of time, uh, or several times over the years, has had uh, for different excuses where they just open up the park for the entire weekend. So if you get, you know, if you get oh, inside, yeah. you don't have to leave for 3 days yeah, or whatever. Star Tours premiere and all that. Yeah. 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 And that. so those that that stuff is just like uh, I'm all over that stuff. So I so I did those things. And now that you mention it, I think I did get to go to like a premiere thing, but it was you know, crazy crowded, and I was not treated special in any way. Listen to but the I did get luminaries to go. that were here, and I don't even want to call these '80s luminaries; these are like <laughs> '70s. So, Catherine Bach, Elizabeth Montgomery, Alan Thicke, Eric Estrada, John Ritter, Whoopi Goldberg, Charles Bronson, Sissy Spacek, Sarah Purcell. Do you remember Real People? Mm-hmm. God, uh, Joyce Brothers, Doctor Joyce Brothers, Deborah Winger, Elliot Gould, Dolph Lundgren, Apollonia. And even Jack Nicholson, who was the girlfriend of, I mean, the boyfriend of Angelica Houston. Yeah. Wow. You were really rubbing. Right. But that's the thing is I don't think I got near any of that action. I think I was just part of the, basically the pub, the public. That's amazing. Because I think my friend was still associated with 
Michael Jackson at that time. So I think that's that's more why I got in. Than, it's not like they just invited all the extras to come to that thing. <laughs> but I really don't remember seeing any of those people. So, and I've I, you know I did a lot of. Uh, you know, especially in the first few years before I moved to LA, and once I lived in LA, I was super into going to things where celebrities were going to be there. Sure. In San Diego, the Old Globe Theater down there burned down, and I I had done a lot of uh, volunteer work there to you know to see free plays. And um, wait, the Old Globe burned down, like the original Old Globe burned down. Yeah, in San Diego, That's they crazy. had an old Globe Theater that burnt to the gro- absolutely to the ground. It was like arson, and I don't. I don't That's think what they happened ever to the original the Globe. Yeah, yeah, and then now, and then they rebuilt it, and they made you know the one they rebuilt was really nice. Publicity and they stuff. had a uh, they had a telethon for it in San Diego, and so me and my friends just went down and stood outside. You know, it was a, several hours long. We just stood outside all night. <laughs> just waiting for people to come and go and get their autograph and it was like you know the most random selection of people but thanks to thanks to making that effort i have christopher reeve's autograph oh my god (laughs) just his name on a piece of paper signed by him (laughs) i grew up in a suburb of la so i you would think i would run into like i think the only celebrities i ever saw was jeff goldblum and ben vereen they were shooting 10 speed and brown shoe in downtown la and i ran into them but i used to go to the rick d's tv talk show just to see celebrities just to go to a taping. Yeah, well, that was that was sort of my mentality. And, uh, you know, if you saw the uh, uh, certain Rick D's shows, you saw me because I, I appeared on it a couple of times. On Into the Like night? in sketches, yeah. What? Yeah, I was in sketches. There was a sketch about um, – there was some sort of newspaper article about a dog kidnapping a man or something like that. Oh, my God. And so they reenacted it like they had a dog with – you know, they stuck a gun to its paw and then they put me like I was the man being held captive by the dog. We have to do an Into the Night episode of I- <laughs> But I they barely remember that that's also a Jeff Goldblum movie. That's right. <laughs> Do you remember that show used to have this like Rube Goldberg trivia machine thing? I was the first person to ever win. Oh, that that's thing. cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, God, I hope you will come back and talk about every one of these movies along the line that you've been in. This is a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, well, you know, and also the sooner I do it, the better, because I do, I do sort of fuzz out on the some of the details <laughs> because it's been you know so long, and I've done so many, uh, you know, I, I logged so much time as an extra. I was like the first two or three years I lived in uh, L.A., I started as an extra and then kind of moved into being a, a stand-in uh, for for various people. Like I was a I was a stand-in for Patrick Dempsey for. Uh, an entire feature film. Can't buy me love. No, uh, not as not as successful. It was called when we were shooting. It was called the Woo Woo Kid, <laughs> and when it came out, it was called In the Mood, well, which is just the most marginal generic better. title that they stuck on there. Oh my god! Wait, so before we end, let's, let's talk. <laughs> we got to stick to Captain EO. I know, but I just want to talk because <laughs> I'm excited about Blade Runner, but I'm actually really excited about Commando because I grew up on that movie. Who do you play in Commando? Well, Commando has that great scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger's double, uh, uh, there's a there's a ruckus in a mall and he, oh, yeah. he takes the balloon. He, he grabs the bal- decorative <laughs> balloons and flies across you know, that and lands everywhere. on the elevator, Yeah, which is the exact same mall that I was in uh, Fast Times in. And in both cases is the Sherman, Sherman Oaks, Oaks Gallery. Yeah, right. And in both cases, they closed it down to shoot those movies. So it was uh, super surreal to be in a uh, 
a mall, uh, you know, all night long that wasn't wasn't really open, and uh, especially a mall that was like so close to where I where I you know was living when we did Commando, like it was like walking distance when I was in Commando, and but the fun part about Commando and that I've experienced a few times in uh, filmmaking uh, is when. There's just a bunch of extras and you're in a real mall and uh, David Patrick Kelly's like the bad guy running away from Schwarzenegger and he's got a gun and he's shooting it off, blanks or whatever. Luther. But it's just insanely exhilarating <sighs> to just action, you know, yeah, and then yeah. you're just in an action scene. You're just, you know, you're just doing, you know, just running around acting crazy and uh, and then also just getting to see them do that stunt, which, you know – is it like it looks like balloons, but there is just a massive wire in there, you know? Like it's like when you're watching it in person, it's, it's pretty stiff. It doesn't really look like he's <laughs> flying across on the uh, decorative balloons. But uh, have you ever been squibbed? My, I'm dying. Yes, you have. Well, okay. Yeah, because I was in uh, Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Jesus, that God. was my transition from being a stand-in to trying to be more of a full-fledged actor. And you're squibbed on your first time out? And I got, uh, I played about a dozen different zombies throughout the movie, and oh. I got to be squibbed. And So uh, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's it's having like an electric, electronically ignited blood pack like you've been shot. They're called squibs. Yeah, and you know, with zombies, they just, and especially since we were shooting at night, they just, they, they would blow up, but it would be more like that dust would come out. You know, oh, they, right, they right. didn't have actual blood coming still, out of them. And it was still. also a cheap, uh, stupid movie. But uh, but I got to, for, over the course of a month, I got to really go through the the rigors of having very complicated prosthetics put on every day, oh, and it, it was a nightmare. It sounds like, like it. It was. It, it, I was never comfortable, and it's also funny when you're really made up. Like your face looks different, like a different person's face. Like every time you walk by a mirror, it's 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 weird because <laughs> you just like it's not your face, but you're you're walking into the mirror's yeah. line of vision and looking at it, going, "That's so creepy." You know, you're looking at yourself, but yourself isn't looking back. Yeah, but I got, you know, I got to, not only did I get to do squibs in that movie, I also got uh, stuck to the wall with a fireplace poker, uh, cut, sliced in half. They they hired a guy with no legs to play me after I get sliced in half. And uh, I love that your history involves a lot of people with missing appendages. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you lived a life. You lived <laughs> my dream life. But my favorite thing was I got to uh, twice on Return of Living Dead Part 2, I got to smash through a giant plate glass window God, with my hands. All this on your first one out? <laughs> yeah. And a lot of rain and a lot of very cold. We shot it across the uh, freeway from um, uh, Magic Mountain. And uh, nothing makes me more upset than a, a, an amusement park within view day after day that you're not going to. You know, you're not going to go on the rides. You're just going to look at it over there. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. Doug. Thank you. This was uh, super fun. And uh, now I think I finally got it all out in one place because yeah. it comes up in a lot of interviews and I don't have time to get into it that deeply. It's on record. Is there anything that you want to talk about that you're doing coming up or uh, where they can find you? Uh, douglasmovies.com is where all my uh, tour dates are and uh, you know you can I, I travel around doing stand up and Douglas movies and uh, movie interruptions and uh, all sorts of stuff and uh, and my latest my first one hour special Doug Dynasty is on Netflix streaming now-ish all right should well, be now I hope we'll have you back soon thank you so much thanks all right <laughs> what did I say in that interview? You know you're looking at yourself, but yourself isn't looking back. 
If you haven't listened to the first episode of this podcast, when Paul F. Tompkins tells the story behind his line in the movie, There Will Be Blood, gentlemen, we gain nothing by losing our heads. He doesn't think it's a remarkable line. I happen to think it's a remarkable line. But what I just said is really the case of saying something stupid, but under the guise of a wise musing. You know you're looking at yourself, but yourself isn't looking back. (laughs) That's good. Speaking of old episodes of I Was There Too, there's been a slight development in the story with Melody Ray from The Untouchables, who played the woman with the baby carriage in the famous shootout scene. In that interview, uh, she was talking about the baby and how his father was one of the stunt choreographers. And I joked that, you know, he probably grew up to be a stuntman. That's because he loved hearing the guns go off and he would probably be in his 30s now. Well, a couple of listeners sent me links Colin Himes is his name, and he is indeed a stuntman. I even contacted him to try to do a reunion through the podcast, but I didn't hear much back from him. He's a stuntman. Stuntmen don't talk. There's another old adage. I'd like t-shirts made of, you know you're looking at yourself, but yourself isn't looking back, and stuntmen don't talk. Okay, on to this new segment where I am going to talk to the loveliest woman in the world, my grandmother. Eleanor Gorley, because she used to live at uh, the corner of Sunset and Crescent Heights in the 30s and 40s in Hollywood, where the infamous locations of the Garden of Allah apartment villas and the Schwab's drugstore used to be. If you don't know anything about these two places, they are sort of infamous because of their Hollywood history. A little bit about Schwab's. It was uh, sort of a Hollywood hangout drugstore pharmacy with a soda fountain, and you'll hear my grandmother talk about it. And this is just a reflection for her. She is uh, too honorable a woman to tell any sordid stories. I think she just witnessed a lot of the comings and goings of various uh, celebrities, and I wanted her to talk a little bit about what it was like to live there. Schwab's was where celebrities would go to hang out, to take meetings. In fact, uh, William Holden's character, Joe Gillis in Sunset Boulevard said, after that, I drove down to headquarters. That's the way a lot of us think about Schwab's kind of a combination office, coffee clutch and waiting room, waiting, waiting for the gravy train. And there my grandmother rubbed uh, elbows with someone very special. It's also the place where Lana Turner was reportedly discovered, though I think she herself has said that that's not true. But apparently F. Scott Fitzgerald had his heart attack there, and it's said that composer Harold Arlen wrote Over the Rainbow after he had the tune pop into his head and he stopped in to write it down on a napkin or something. And right near there was the Garden of Allah Apartments and Hotel and Hollywood Hangout Complex, so named because it was basically built up by a silent screen actress named Ala Nazimova. And it's this uh, Spanish villa that became this sort of decadent affair hunting grounds. <laughs> Think uh, San Diego Wild Animal Park, but with celebrity sex. I don't know. Some of the stories are pretty fun and sordid. Getting back to F. Scott Fitzgerald, he apparently was having an ongoing affair there while he kept his wife, Zelda, in a sanitarium. Humphrey Bogart stayed there with his second wife, Mary Phillips, then with his third wife before he married her. But then when he was trying to get rid of her to make way for Lauren Bacall, whom he reportedly met at the Garden of Allah, there were all of these fights. And that's why he gave his third wife the nickname Sluggy. (laughs) True story. John Barrymore was said to keep a bicycle there so as not to waste any time going from villa to villa so he could fill his liver full of all sorts of alcohol. And it's even the place that supposedly Joni Mitchell wrote Big Yellow Taxi about. 
they've paved paradise and put up a parking lot because that's what it is today, a parking lot. And Schwab's itself closed in 1983 and became a virgin megastore, but that is now gone along with a lot of Hollywood history. But thinking about the affairs that went on at that place and how they were probably fueled by a lot of the prescription medication the uh, celebrities got at Schwab's drugstore, it was a intersection of Hollywood history, and I'm thrilled to have my grandma in to talk to her a little bit about that. She's very dear to me. My grandfather passed away uh, last year, and both he and she have been incredible inspirations in my life, so I'm very happy to talk to her about her experiences and remember him a little bit. I think you're going to love him as much as I do. I will post some pictures of both Schwab's and the Garden of Allah on the episode webpage, And now let's find out why Eleanor Gorley doesn't go by the name Eleanor. In a segment I'm calling... I was there circa 1942. So I'm here with my wonderful grandmother, Eleanor Gorley, but you go by Eddie, right? That's right. And what's the quick story on that? You just... Oh, okay. That happened... I was living with my grandparents when I was born. My dad was at war... And so my grandfather named me Eddie May. And, uh, but as I got older then, I dropped the May. And it was just Eddie. When I got in school, they called me Eleanor. But then when I met Jim and we married, he picked up the Eddie from my family. And uh, so I've been Eddie. So when you say your father was at war, that was World War One, and I don't want to reveal your age because a gentleman never asks and a lady never tells. But it's it's up to you. (laughs) It's pretty impressive. Well, for you, Matt, (laughs) my wonderful grandson, I'll tell you, uh, ninety six. Ninety six. Going on ninety seven. And you would never know it. I have to tell you a little bit about my grandma because. She's an amazing inspiration to our entire family. It wasn't long ago. You're active on Facebook. You taught a computer class not too long ago. Mm -hmm. You're incredible. Thank you very much. (laughs) And every time we show up, you've got the most amazing batch of cookies ready to go. (laughs) Your cookies are second to none. Well, I, yes, (laughs) yes, Uh, that I, I know that you expect them. Everyone, everyone (laughs) of the grand boys do. And also the sons, when they come, they they expect them. So I got out of the shower just about an hour before you were supposed to arrive and realized I didn't have any chocolate chip cookies. So I quick... This is where my love of cookies yeah, comes from. Yes. You And I, yeah, I mean, I prefer to eat cookies for every meal if I can, and I think I have you to blame for that. <laughs> probably, probably. So I was able to greet you and Amanda at the door with a cookie in each hand uh-huh. for you. So I'm very excited to talk about just a little bit about the history, because when you and grandpa moved from Ohio to Los Angeles, you lived in many locations throughout Southern California. But for a while, you lived very near the Garden of Allah Apartments, which has its own set of fascinating and sordid stories about old time Hollywood. But also you went to Schwab's drugstore. And and, am I wrong about this? You had a a shake or a malt with Cesar Romero, who played the Joker on the Batman. Oh, I had such a crush on him. (laughs) I went there every day. Uh, Your granddad went to work for Douglas, and he worked in the afternoon. And so he probably left for work around two, I would say, for the the third shift. And... Uh and, uh, or second shift, maybe. I don't know what it was, but it was. he worked about 3 to 12. And so as soon as he would leave, I would go up to Schwab's drugstore, and I was drinking Cokes. 
and I just drink one Coke right after another. Really? Because this is where I get in. that from, too. Yeah, and Cesar Romero came in there just, if I remember, just about every day. Really? And I would just sit there and drink the Cokes and just watch him. <laughs> but I never was discovered. Uh, and I understand there were quite a few movie stars that were discovered there. Was so. that kind of a hope of yours, or were you interested? No, in that, no, or, I no? wasn't. No, I didn't. I just, I just fell in love with Cesar Romero. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Now, did you ever have any kind of uh, discussion with him or anything? Well, just, uh, just very, uh, just nodding, just, just passing a few words. That's uh, all. Uh, yeah, that's nothing sweet. real. Well. No, he was he was so handsome, <laughs> and it's all very innocent anyway. Because my understanding is he, in the end, he, he didn't exactly go for the lady types. Did you know that? Uh, that was a shock to me uh, when uh, uh, Jimmy, our son, uh, sat at a table with him up at the Gene Autry Museum. I think it was. They were at a big dinner there. I didn't know this. Yeah. My father? Well, he yes, there was, he was, there was a big dinner there, uh-huh. and uh, they were seated at this big round table, and um, there was a lady with him that always was by his side, uh-huh. and so. But then he proceeded to tell me when I got so excited, you know, about it. I, Jimmy proceeded to tell me that um, really um, that he was um, not interested in women. Right. I so, think um, Marlene Dietrich has a famous quote about it. Have you ever heard this? Let me see if I can find it. She once said, uh, Cesar Romero was the undisputed queen of homosexuals. I don't think there was a gay an- actor in Hollywood who hadn't been there. But I was so naive. I don't think I really knew that there yeah, were, how were people like that. Right. Because you know? I was only 21. And it wouldn't have been obvious at the time anyway. No, no. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known what they were talking about at <laughs> And his roles were so dashing or yeah. flamboyant in their own right because he played the Joker, and you would expect him to be larger than life, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you and Grandpa, you lived very close to the Garden of Allah apartment we building, did. right? Um, when I uh, came to California, uh, Grandpa came out uh, ahead of me and to get a job. And so he came in August, and I arrived in October. Uh, I rode the Greyhound bus out from Canton, Ohio. How many days did that take? Uh, quite a few. Jeez. Oh. And I wasn't really dressed for it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I was going to California, so I didn't need heavy clothes. And so it happened that I sat beside a um, um, officer in the Navy, and he had a peacoat. Uh. So at night, he would loan me his peacoat. He would cover me with his peacoat. And he bought my meals, and I thought, boy, this is really neat. But he got a surprise when we got off of the bus, and Jim was there, (laughs) grabbed me. So it was kind of a disappointment, because I think he had um, some... Uh, he, he had, had something else in mind. It. Well, it sounds like Grandma, and, and uh, having seen pictures of you as a young woman, you were a foxy lady, and you were, I could see where you were charming the socks <laughs> off these gentlemen, even now. <laughs> you uh, mean after lunch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I was friendly. <laughs> Our waiter really took a fancy to you, right? And uh, Yeah, he did, and he wasn't too bad looking. And you said you were available, huh? Yes, I did. <laughs> And then I thought, oh, oh. <laughs> well, let me just put the call out right now. If there are any uh, young men, and I'm saying, you know, young in there, what, what do you like? A good man in his 80s? What do you like? Well, 
75. 75. You know, might do. For all my 75-year-old podcast listeners out there, you know, just just contact me and we'll uh, we'll have a little matchmaking service. Oh, boy. <laughs> he must like cookies. That's right. <laughs> well, I'll make them. Okay, done. Okay. So you guys live near. Now, this is an infamous batch of apartment buildings where a bunch of the Hollywood stars would live for periods of time because exactly. they were working for the studio system, right? Exactly. Okay. And um, when I arrived in uh, California then, uh, Jim had already made arrangements for a – we lived in a fourplex on – well, we were on the second floor. And uh, it was at the corner of Crescent Heights Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard. Uh-huh. Right where the right. Laugh Factory is now, for those of you who know that area. Okay. Near there. Yeah. And it was right behind Schwab's Drugstore. So that's why I made my trip every day as soon as Jim left to Schwab's Drugstore. It was very close. It was within walking distance. Oh. And then right across the street was the Garden of Allah, which is, uh, was like um, small apartments. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, we really didn't know what was going on over there until years later. Uh, I happened to uh, be looking at some used books, and I saw this book, The Garden of Allah. I found it back in Ohio. And I picked up that book, and I started reading it, and I couldn't believe what I was reading and everything we had missed out on when we were... <laughs> In those, uh, in 1939. Boy, what you don't know about your neighbors, I huh? know, I know. And they, they were very secretive about it. But uh, I learned a lot. So if you ever have a chance to read the book, I would recommend it. If Is you there wanna. any uh, nutshell version you'd like to recount? Or, I mean, you can keep it as tasteful as you like. There's no... Well, I guess everybody knows what a casting couch is. Right. So they speak of that. Sure. Here's a yeah. list of people that used to... Like, this isn't even everybody, but just hear some of the names that used to live there. Lauren Bacall, Tallulah Bankhead, John Barrymore, Humphrey Bogart, Robert Benchley. I'm only in the bees. That's incredible. Uh, Mickey Cohen, uh, Gary Cooper. Let's see. Marlene Dietrich, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Errol Flynn, Greta Garbo, Ava Gardner, Jackie Gleason. This is incredible. D.W. Griffith. Zeppo, oh, two of the Marx Brothers, Harpo and Zeppo, used to live there. So who else had you come across? Well, um, Arthur Miller used to stop there at night to get sleeping medication from Marilyn Monroe. And uh, coming into um, Schwab's drugstore, John Payne and Anne Shirley used to come in there. And oh, they were the cutest couple. I just fell in love with both of them. And it was just, they were so romantic. <laughs> and so, and then uh, Ukulele Ike, um, Cliff Edwards. Oh, wow. He used to come in there all the time. So he I, was funny. I could see why every day you'd just go there and it would be like... You'd see different movie stars. Every day. It yeah, was just, every day there yeah. was somebody walking through there. So that's what I did for entertainment. I knew no one and, and there was nothing for me to do so but to go to Schwab's drugstore and drink Cokes. <laughs> and did you regale Grandpa with the stories when he'd come home and he'd ask, who'd you see today? Oh, and... he wasn't terribly interested in that. <laughs> he, he just thought I was movie struck. It was a lot of fun. That's wonderful. Grandma, I can't tell you what a nice uh, thing this is for me able to be able to talk to you about this. Well, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I have so many fond memories of my long time with your granddad. Yeah, he and was all wonderful. all you kids and some just a wonderful family. And you guys were married 75 years. Seven little over 75 years. We were working on 76. That's incredible. Yeah. Right. So, uh 
it's uh, I have a full bank of precious memories. <laughs> well, you're the best, and here's to you, and here's to Grandpa, and thank you so much for talking about this oh, with me. Oh, it was my pleasure, Matt. I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> now let's go get some cookies. Okay, right. good. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> I was there circa 1942. That's it for another gala episode of I Was There, Too. Please leave a review on iTunes. Make it a goodie. Every five-star review that I get Cash back in your Visa debit checkout card. What? Just had a stroke. Time to end the show. Uh, hey, Macarena. <laughs> Let me just briefly explain to you how this podcast recording goes. I do the interviews in studio or in studio through the phone, but these little interstitial segments I do in my office at my home and. To record and get decent quality, I have to pull these dark drapes over the windows and I become a bit of a shut-in. So in some ways, I'm only talking to you as a, hey, could you get me out of here right now? Kind of way. Said too much. Let's take it home. If you're interested in more of my stuff, provocative, you can find the James Bonding podcast on iTunes, where Matt Myra and I discuss every James Bond film well, we haven't finished it yet. And we'll look, listen, we're moving at a snail's pace. And my first love in podcasting, Superego, which is improvised character-based uh, comedy with Mark McConville, Jeremy Carter, and Paul F. Tompkins. All right. Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll see you on the next episode. You know you're looking at yourself, but yourself isn't looking back. Hmm. Kind of thematically works with what my grandma talked about today. Doesn't it, Joni Mitchell? But you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Pop. Pop? Pop. Pop. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.